Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. As we stand, will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place and fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your grace and your truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So uh, I used to be a bit of a fly fisherman uh, back when I was a lot younger, and, uh, and I was always a catch and release sort of fisherman as I fished in streams up in North Carolina and in lakes back home in Alabama. Um, and when you catch a fish and pull it in to remove the hook, some of you will know this, the fish gets a bit stunned and, quite frankly, kind of looks dead after you've taken it out and removed the hook and, and taken pictures or whatever. But what you do then is you, is you, after you remove the hook, you take the, the fish, the little trout or whatever, and you place it gently under the water and you just gently move it back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the fish just kind of jolts and uh, all of a sudden starts to wriggle and swim away. And uh, I've always liked that little moment when the fish returns to its fish senses and swims off. Maybe uh, it's because it has a bit of a resurrection quality to it. That which looked to be dead comes to life and swims on. And I wonder, though, if we were to be honest with ourselves, how do we tend to look at life? How do we look at that which is around us? Through what kind of lens do we look? Do we observe those little resurrection moments for what they are? That which looked to be dead comes to life and swims on. Does our lens give us nearsightedness or farsightedness? Is it a, eh, there you have it, or a and yet kind of lens. Do we see death or do we see resurrection life? So last Tuesday was All Saints Day and uh, we're kind of moving that feast to today and and celebrating All Saints today on this Sunday. And, And the term saint can often be misunderstood because we have so many different ways that that term is used. Are saints, are they the people that are in the stained glass? Well, yes. Technically, they are. Are they the the really well-behaved, mopey people as compared to the happy-go-lucky sinners? Well, if Billy Joel is correct, then yeah, that's exactly who they are. For those of you who don't know his song, Only the Good Die Young, he classically sings, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Are they mythical? Are they these kind of like superheroes that are, that are really just kind of beyond any of our reaches, really? You know, so mythical that they can even be a mascot for an NFL team in New Orleans. 
Who are the saints? Whether they be those in the church triumphant or the church militant. The ones here on earth or those in the great cloud of witnesses. The quick or the dead. Well, I'd suggest that saints are those who can see clearly that the dead may be more quick than ever. Saints are those who can see beyond death to the truer reality of resurrection life. They are what some might call Easter people. And you could make a case that the whole story of the Scripture is aimed to help us see this very thing. Pastor and writer Eugene Peterson put it this way. He wrote, The Bible is not a script for a funeral service, but it is the record of God always bringing life where we expected to find death. And the Bible is. It's full of these moments um, that we, through our New Testament uh, perspective might call Easter moments, moments where God is holding the trout gently and rocking it back and forth in the water in order that it might spring to life and swim on. Think of Noah. Noah and his family in the ark, the rainbow placed in the sky by Yahweh, and the Lord declares in Genesis chapter 9, Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy life. Think of Joseph as he stands before his brothers these same brothers who had sold him into slavery and declared him dead to his father. But God brought life where death was expected to be found. Remember what he said to his brothers when they were before him in Genesis chapter 50. He, he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And then there is, of course, the seminal event in the entire Old Testament, uh, the Exodus, as the people are facing sure and certain death on the shores of the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his army bearing down on them. God brings Life, a way through, a way out, a way to the promised land. And this is the culmination of God's promise that he had declared to Moses previously in Genesis chapter 6 when he said to him, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God brings life, or to use the terminology here in Genesis 6, He redeems. He is a redeemer 
for those in the grip of death. And it's what we heard from Job in our Old Testament lesson today. At a, at a moment when he was facing unspeakable suffering and pain, death all around him, he even speaks in an earlier chapter, chapter 17, of death and the grave being his house and the pit, his father and the worm, his mother. There's no doubt that he's staring death straight in the eye, but then somehow a glimmer of hope and life gets through and he proclaims God as his personal kinsman, redeemer. He says, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. That's a resurrection word. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. And then there's King David, who has more than his share of confrontations with death, where his funeral seems imminent, but time and time again, God brings life. His song in Psalm 18 speaks of this powerfully as David writes, the cords of death encompass me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of shale entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. But David cries out to the Lord and the Lord hears him and tears out of heaven with smoke coming from his nostrils to rescue and redeem. And David writes in verse 19 of that psalm, the Lord brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God, the Redeemer, brings life where David expected to find death. So the resurrection narrative, that is the story again and again in the Scriptures. That's the pattern. But despite that, people continue somehow to miss it. Instead, assume the funeral script. People are Sadducees rather than saints. So we look just here in our gospel lesson here in Luke chapter 20. If you want to look on as we go through here, uh, it's on page 880 in the Pew Bibles, or if you brought your own Bible, feel free to open them up to Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 27 and following. And we have here this confrontation between a group of Sadducees and Jesus. The Sadducees were the Jewish sect who were kind of known for their disbelief and their denial of the resurrection of the dead. And they also happened to be the group that held the most power in the Jewish religious community at the time of this encounter. So, what happens when people with power go through life always expecting to find death and not believing that God could or would bring life? What happens when we do not have the lens of resurrection life but this lens of the funeral, of death? How will those in power, if that's how they see things, how will they handle their power? How will they view those 
who have ideas like resurrection. Well, won't they put a stranglehold on their power and see an idea like resurrection life as a threat? Because if people believe in resurrection life, well, why would they fear those in power? And if people don't fear your power, then do you have power at all? And I think that that's at work here in this encounter. I think that's what the Sadducees, why they're so desperate to dis, uh, dissuade people from believing in this resurrection idea. So they were looking for a way to discredit Jesus and with him this dangerous idea of resurrection. And their ploy with these questions about marriage in the resurrection, well, they show how their disbelief causes remarkable nearsightedness. And really what's happening is it's not just about it being near, it's just being insufficient, right? So they only really see things in two dimensions. They only understand simple addition and subtraction, winners and losers in a zero-sum game. And so they ask these questions of Jesus about this supposed uh, widow and all the brothers that marry her. And their ultimate question is, well, in the resurrection, who wins? Who gets the wife? Which one does the wife get? To be a, a Sadducee, it's sad, you see. Oh, yes. Is I right? Worst dad joke ever. I promised two members of our staff who I met, and, and one of them used that dad joke with me, that I would use it in the sermon. And there you are. There you are. It's cheesy, I know. Groany, uh, for sure. Uh, but it makes us chuckle because it's true. It makes us chuckle a little uncomfortably because it's true. You see, the Sadducees, their nearsightedness, Always expecting death is so tempting and insidious, and it is truly sad. It affects everything, touches every aspect of our lives when we fall into it, and we do. So I was just thinking about this this past week. Uh, I received a phone call from our uh, insurance agent, uh, who's helping us with our claim on the uh, kitchen that got flooded over here. And, uh, and right after that call, I got an email from the engineers who are doing the investigation uh, and investigating into the scale and the scope of the work that we have to do to repair our portico out here where all the scaffolding is. And um, neither came with good news. And I confess, I spent a good portion of the hours after receiving these communications acting like a Sadducee rather than a saint. I could only see subtraction as opposed to addition, right? That this was just going to be a drain on us, on me. I could only see death with no notion of resurrection. I did not see these things with the eyes of an Easter person. And it stole my joy and stirred in me some unrighteous anger, I'm sure. You see, if we see the world and life and all therein with the far-sighted resurrection vision of a saint, 
Well, guess what? We're able to see three dimensions, maybe four, I don't know. Not just addition and subtraction, but multiplication, or you might call it growth. So things like these recent examples of so-called bad news that I just shared about, well, they're transformed from expectations of death into exciting opportunities for God to bring life. And so I wonder, what are the examples that you can think of in your life? What are those areas that are stealing your joy, that are causing you to kind of keep death right there? Times, places, moments that seem like inevitable death. Maybe it's the the totality of a bunch of things. And so it makes for an overall outlook of death. Maybe you confess your faith in the resurrection of the dead week after week, as we will here momentarily in the Nicene Creed, but in reality you find yourself clinging to this earthly existence like a Sadducee. And trust me, I get it. And Job got it. I mean, Job was ready to just pack it in and say, all right, death is my house. And yet, and yet somewhere in the depths of the funeral dirge, a different song broke through to him. And I believe that same song can break through for each one of us. We can hear it. We can see it, we can see, we can sing as the saints we are. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. For nowhere did mankind more fully expect to find death than at Golgotha and in that garden tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Here's where the spark of hope breaks in, right? There, at the cross and at the tomb, There it is. It's actually death. And yet, and yet, God brought life, resurrection life to Jesus and through Jesus, our risen Lord, to all of us who believe. To be a saint isn't based on anything we do. But what he has done, the life of a saint is the life of the resurrected Lord Jesus given to us by grace and received by faith. And so I ask you again, what might that truth change for you today, this week, And in all your days ahead, 
How might a church full of saints, Easter people, with the far-sightedness of the resurrection do for those with whom we come in contact? Because in some ways that metaphor breaks down because it's not just about seeing into a distance, but that distance being brought close and near to us, that the resurrection life is now. It is for us now, and it changes everything now, and it changes it into eternity. What might the resurrection of Jesus that happened, yes, 2,000 years ago, but is continued to be made manifest here in the world, what might it do? How is it made manifest? Well, it's made manifest through the lives of the saints, saints like you, who do not expect to see death, but are ever watchful for how God will bring life, the trout being held, gently rocked under the water, springing to life and swimming on. Amen.